Welcome to the Be Free RE podcast, where you learn how to make your job optional. I'm your host, John, who's just getting started on his journey. But in the last year, I moved across the country, bought four apartments, make money as a landlord, no longer pay rent, and I have my first child. I'm joined by your co-host and my guide, Tony Angotti, who in five years quit his job and now manages over 80 units through a combination of house hacks, flips, and partnerships. So with that, let's jump into how you can do less of what you have to do and more of what you want to do. All right, Tony, welcome back to another episode. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. All right, same as always, blah, blah, blah. Well, this week, <laughs> I have a little sunshine in your Pittsburgh day here. We got my friend Hernandez, uh, HB for short. Hernandez, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Very great to be here. And uh, yeah, excited to learn a little bit about the market. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, I guess, Hernandez, why don't you, why don't we actually just plunk into kind of, why don't you start telling us kind of what geography you're in and uh, what, you, what your current housing situation is and what you're trying to do next? All right. So here's my setup. I am currently living in Santa Monica in California, and I am in a one-bedroom apartment with my wife, and uh, it's basically rent control, right? It was a fair deal that we got about three years ago, so it's just starting to make sense now as the market appreciates, so it's starting to be a little cheaper than most one-bedroom apartments. However, I'm still throwing money out in the dumpster because I'm seeing, you know, people around me buying real estate in different parts of LA, maybe in areas that are less promising, but at least they're not wasting rent money, you know. So all right. Rent control. That's something that I don't have to deal with yeah. as a landlord. Yeah. <laughs> it's great as a tenant though. Uh oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So, and Hernandez, you know, so you had contacted me, you were asking me some questions and I said, Hey, just come on the podcast and ask them. So you were asking about Airbnbs out in a vacation area called Joshua Tree, where Coachella is and everyone parties. sounds like you're looking at houses. I heard you have a wife now. So what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, There is, there's a lot going on. I started a little bit all over the place and I found out a couple of friends are making some money out of buying homes in Joshua Tree and kind of just Airbnb in, right? Uh, I know that there's some risk there and most of them you have to, you have to be fix-ups and uh, I have no idea how to, you know, find a house and fix up the house and that do all of that process. And also not a lot of ideas on how to run a business because when you have an Airbnb, you're actually running a business is a little bit different than, you know, buying your first home. So uh, I start shifting my mindset towards like maybe I'll get a house in LA as my first home. I take advantage of the low interest rates that are going on right now. And I try to ride the appreciation wave. Basically, real estate would be, you know, a way to give bigger swings because, you know, we have, you know, essentially the amount of money saved for a down payment in a house in LA. And, uh, you know, instead of just putting all the money in the stock market and running the risks of having all the money in one place that doesn't show to be very stable, right? As we've been seeing in the last few years, uh, it would be nice to just put money in real estate, which is a little bit more stable. And it would be cool to also live in a bigger place than a one-bedroom apartment, honestly. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you're going to trade the volatility of the stock market for the volatility of the California housing market. I like In that. essence, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tony, any thoughts about that? that? Yeah, so maybe go into a little bit of the, I mean, I know that obviously you're renting now, but um, you could just buy a house regular, like, and just live there, presumably, whatever. So why, why get into 
being like an Airbnb host, why do this in the first place? Well, uh, when I do the very rough math in my mind, and I, I'm sure I'm forgetting a million variables, so you correct me if I'm wrong. But when, I, when I'm looking at, you know, uh, getting the loan and et cetera, and what I would pay per month after fixing up the house and et cetera, I think, you know, considering an occupancy rate of 50%, which I heard from some that is modest and from some that is crazy, you know, so there's more risk there. Uh, then I could probably, if I buy like a, if I spent 400 grand, right? If I put like, let's say 20% down and I get a $400,000 house and I spend 50 grand fixing it up, I could probably make like a couple thousand dollars a month just with Airbnb. I mean, there's a lot of hours that I would have to put in there, a lot of stress, a lot of risk and regulations could always change. But yeah, that was my first thought. But then I realized that I could probably make that kind of money in LA eventually. Uh, because, but in a different way, right? I wouldn't get the liquidity that I would get in an Airbnb, right? But I would at least get a new home, you know, that will be appreciating a lot faster than a home in Joshua Tree. So I make money. It's just that I can't spend it, which is fine. <laughs> it's trapped in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So really, it sounds like your primary goal here is just to kind of um, use your primary residence as you're just trying to kind of build wealth with, through your primary residence in the best way possible. Airbnb sounds like it's just a way to kind of reduce your housing expense. Is that about right? Yeah, I think the 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 main goal here is increase net worth, right? Like in the long run, how is this going to make me money? How is this going to increase the overall value of my quote unquote portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think buying a first home, there's different ways that I could make maybe make money if I buy a first home. Maybe I have you know about three bedroom and I break down the third bedroom, which I definitely don't need if just you know with no kids. And I have, and I create a private entrance and I can rent out that bedroom. Or maybe I get a, you know, uh, make a garage, a detached garage uh, guest house, you know? So there's different ways, different things that I would like to explore, right? So. Yeah. And that's, you know, they talk about that as house hacking, which is like the best way to save money. I mean, using your primary residence, renting out a portion of it, whether it's bedrooms or uh, like an accessory unit or something, Airbnb or traditional, that's, you know, that's the path to saving money, upping your savings rate, building net worth. And then by you saving money, you can invest that money in more real estate or invest it elsewhere. So I think that you're on the right path there. Um, Is this something that you're just planning on doing for one house? Are you thinking about doing others? Do you have any like... So it depends on the math. It depends on the math, right? Because, you know, uh, I definitely, I mean, I see... Uh, I talk to John all the time and I see him, you know, investing in different properties in Pittsburgh and he gets in a house and he fixes it up. He, you know, gets the equity, he takes money out and then he uses the money to get another house. And I, I think that would work great. It's just that doing that in LA is a lot more expensive, right? And I don't know if the, if the, the math is as good, meaning that the amount you're going to pay for the mortgage is going to probably be even higher than what you're going to get for the rent even after you fix up the house so i'm looking into and that's why i'm talking about like hey maybe i'll create a private entrance for the third bedroom or maybe i'll get a guest house maybe if i do those things after i stay in the house for like a couple of years 
I could refinance and maybe perhaps them the math could make sense. I would love to know if that math could make sense in the areas like, and I'm sure there'll be different depending on the area, right? So that's why I'm thinking at Hawthorne because not only is it a place that I think I can afford, but it's also a place that I think the math could make sense. Yeah. So just yeah. a little LA geography for listeners here. You know, Hernandez is and in Tony. Yeah, and Tony. <laughs> Hernandez is in Santa Monica. This is like, you know, uh, the beach. This is walks to the beach. They're, you know, near the airport. Lots of job opportunities nearby, uh, close to Malibu. This is very, you know, expensive living, quote unquote. Um, Joshua Tree is about, I don't know, what is it, an hour and a half east? Two and a half hours drive in the uh, desert. Two and a half hours east into the desert. Not much tumbleweeds literally out there. Um, but, you know, honestly, people like to go out there to escape L.A. And then Hawthorne is kind of a formerly industrial area of Los Angeles that has really seen a revitalization with, uh, candidly, SpaceX and Tesla coming in. And, have you know, that has essentially turned it from this, like, you know, uh, rusty industrial to very sexy, shiny industrial part of Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, that's, that's what basic question here as like an outsider. So in Hawthorne or wherever you're looking, is it possible to rent it monthly and break even on the mortgage taxes and insurance at least? I think so. I think if you get a fix up, up or you can okay. like so far, but I've, I've, I've only looked into like, I don't know, 15 properties so far. So can't really tell you much. So about you, I, you ideally don't, you don't want to lose money, at least at that very basic level. Like you at least want to try to find something where monthly it's going to be break even on the, like the pity payment, the principal. Yeah. Interest if I, after a couple of years living there and putting all the work in the house, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think if right. the math makes sense, at least break, breaking even, I'm not expecting to make money. I don't, ex I don't expect, you know, positive cash flows that are relevant for me, but I would expect that to be, you know, appreciating. So eventually I could pull money out and do this in another house. Yeah. So when you're analyzing these, I would say just look like what at least covers your fixed expenses, you know, like what covers your, your pity payment basically. And then if you can do that, then it's probably worth living there and, you know, dealing with the investment that way because you have to pay to live somewhere anyway. So it still makes sense. And then the other thing that you talked about is the appreciation. So there's like an interesting concept that I heard from somebody in the past about the people that just hang on to these houses and then they just refinance them like every 15 years and they might they might eventually acquire like 15 houses eventually and then just refinance every 15 years and just keep rolling that money over and over and over. And then you make the refinance money tax-free. So it's like a cool way to build wealth with real estate that might apply to you. But yeah, I would say number one, just like make sure you're covering your fixed expenses. I don't think it, you know, I don't know if that's possible, but you probably don't want to be behind the eight ball there. What do you think, John? Is that even possible? Um, it's going to be a challenge. So uh, I think we should dive a little deeper into like, what, what does that even mean? Right. So, you know, and I think we're going to have to dive into some numbers here a little bit, Hernandez. So it's, it sounds like you're looking at, uh, you got like a hundred thousand cash. Uh, for debt right. payment available, um, your rent is something like twenty five hundred, right? Mm -hmm. Does that sound fair? And yeah, it's twenty one hundred. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I'm looking at estimated mortgage payments on houses in Hawthorne, three bed, two bath, a thousand square foot, so quite a small bungalow kind of style. That's mm -hmm. about twenty six hundred, and that's also roughly what the rent estimate is provided by Zillow. 
So that, that sounds right. This is like a finished house with you know brand new trim and showers, but you know that's that's kind of the um, you know he's kind of breaking even on the gross is is sort of what the California market allows, if that makes sense, Tony. Which is yeah, which um, isn't which isn't bad if you know if your goal is the long term thing. Like I think that what's interesting about Hernandez's situation is that his is really the not often talked about on the internet, but really the most common reason for people investing in real estate. Like every time you hear people on the internet, they talk about like, I want to quit my job with the cash flow. I want to do this. It's all about cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. But for most people that buy investment property, it's really just to build that long-term wealth, like the long-term, just a supplement to retirement. Like you're not really trying to quit your day job on real estate. You're just trying to set yourself up for a solid retirement, diversify a little bit, like Hernandez mentioned at the beginning, which is useful. However, that being said, I mean, banking fully on appreciation, more likely in California. However, I just think at least covering your mortgage payment is probably the most useful way to approach this, even if that means being patient for like a deal that comes up that maybe you need to do a little bit of work on or something. Um, that's still probably the route that I would take even there. It sounds like that's possible on this. Like you said, the mortgage payment would be even on this one that you just found online, 2600 yeah. and that's the rent estimate monthly. That's one of the many questions that I have, uh, Tony, just because it's, uh, if I think about this, it's not that, I mean, I do want to make money in the long term and et cetera, but when I, when I think about my current situation, uh, like, it might make sense. The math might make sense more if I get a house and then fix it up. But it, even those houses are hard to find in LA, right? It, it, like most properties that I've been looking at, they've already done this. They've already done the easy part, which is like, hey, getting stainless steel appliances for the kitchen and hmm. paint the, the whole house. And that's how you make the quick bucks, right? In terms of short-term appreciation. And the other thing, it's like, I do feel some level of pressure in coming up with a deal soon just because interest rates are so low and yeah. i don't know for how long they're going to stay low so there is some pressure there right so in your situation though i mean really any deal that you buy that you're going to rent out improves your personal situation because you're if you're going to rent out rooms airbnb you're cutting down on your monthly expense that's the benefit of house hacking is that even if it's not like even if it's not covering anything it's your primary residence anyway so you're still saving money um in an ideal world you would still want to find this where it kind of breaks even, which that one that we just talked about, I mean, that's like an internet deal, right? That was just on Redfin or Zillow yeah. or whatever. So, um, I mean, even that at least covers the mortgage, which is that would be like if you got relocated to another state a month after you bought the place, you could rent it out and still pay your bills. So yeah, that's setting yourself up. That. Yeah, so that's setting yourself up well. And then the other thing is like you, I, I like to consider that because you might make more money on Airbnb, but if regulations or anything ever happen that make that more difficult to execute on, then you can always still fall back on just a traditional rental model. So it's useful to look at like, if I Airbnb this, this is what I would make. And that's a very creative way to make deals out of things that might not otherwise be deals. But if you just want to look like it's useful to consider just the monthly rental model to protect yourself if something crazy happens with Airbnb or whatever. And those are the, the two things really that are pushing me away from the Airbnb decision are the risks, right? Uh, you know, I don't have a primary residence. If something goes wrong, right? All of those things. 
regulation could change and the other thing is the amount of work, right? They're gonna have to put on. I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm probably the style of first home that I'm thinking about buying, you know, if I wanna fix it up and if I wanna create a new home in the backyard or something, I'm gonna have to put a lot of work, but it's different because once I get that done, it's done. The maintenance is a lot less than if I were to go after the yeah. route. And you don't even need to, like, my point is that you don't need to count out the Airbnb thing. You can just do it. And then if it doesn't, if it stops for some reason, then you just revert to the original, like the the fallback plan. So you don't need to let that risk stop you from doing it at first. It's well, just you want to assess the building as if it's not an Airbnb so that you know that it can still work even if that gets shut down. The the house in the desert, I could I probably couldn't do this because it's like two hours away from the next job opportunity I would get at the very least. But uh, maybe what you're saying is right in the sense of like, hey, maybe any house that I get in LA, maybe I could transform that into an Airbnb. And then if that doesn't work, I would just have to shift that mindset to the LA market in terms of Airbnb. I wouldn't be able to do that. And it's tough because the closer you get from the good parts of LA, the tougher the regulation gets. Like you can't do Airbnb in Santa Monica anymore. So mm. it gets a little tricky. But, but yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. I, I, I got to be looking for the deals that provide me with some level of flexibility. Yeah, so I, I would just chime in here. There's, uh, I completely agree with Tony. It's, and I agree with you. So I think Joshua Tree is, a, you know, it's a pretty expensive bet. Uh, you're going to have to do like 25% down or whatever it is for sure out in the desert. And there's there's kind of really no plan B, right? Other than like, I guess, sell it if things aren't working out for you. So I think it's it's uh, logistically more complicated. Um, and I think, I mean, to be very honest, my bias is towards the house hacking mantra where you try and make your, your house uh, an asset for you. Um, kind of like what Tony was saying. There, there's some other tax benefits. So, you know, if you have to furnish this house and your Airbnb being it, now those are tax benefits against the Airbnb income that you would get, right? Uh, furniture. So there's also some small tax benefits that can happen there. And um, just in terms of Airbnb, uh, in in some of those more desirable areas, what people do is they rent internationally and they use uh, other websites where you get extended stays from international visitors. What are the rules on that sort of thing? Like what if you have somebody for a month? It's pretty fluid. Uh, so it depends what part of town he's going to be in and all that stuff. Yeah, but I actually looked this up recently. Uh, I could, because I was thinking about staying at a place with my wife for like a month since everybody is remote right right now during the pandemic. And I think, uh, yeah, you can definitely do those things in Airbnb right now. There is a whole new section of the website about like long stays, long term, medium to long term stays. So there is something there as well. Yeah, I think the play here, though, is find some way to use your primary residence as an income generating asset while you're waiting for it to appreciate. The house hacking thing is like the cheat code to your financial well-being. You just save so much money that you can kind of do whatever you want elsewise as far as investing or if you want to blow it, that's your decision too, but... That's my hint as well. I just have like a lot of questions in terms of like how to proceed, how to, where to go from here. Like even in terms of like down payment, does it even make sense to, you know, like I'm getting a property. So it's my first home. I know there's some flexibility in the amount of down payment that you can put in. 
So does it make sense for me to, you know, pay more to get a lower rate, but then I have no liquidity if something goes wrong, if I lose my job, like what makes sense, right? How much runaway do I need to have and all of that stuff? Like, should I be putting the whole 20% and get the lowest possible rate I can get? Uh, but then if something is wrong with the house, you know, like if people didn't check it right, if I didn't check it right and it was bad plumbing, and now I need to spend 10 grand to fix that, you know what I mean? So that's kind of, those are the risks and the questions that I have right now. Yeah. Well, let's, um, I think like the second part of this is to sort of go through the numbers, how you're approaching it, how you're going to find a place and stuff like that. So let's take a brief pause. All right. Thanks for listening to the first part of this multi-part episode. Stay tuned if you want to hear more of this conversation with Hernandez. And if you're enjoying the podcast, let us know. You can always reach out to Tony or um, leave a review on the podcast. It would be greatly appreciated. All right. Have a great one.